This morning's passage comes from Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. You could find it in your bulletin. You could follow in your own Bible. Let me ask you if you would uh, please stand as we read God's Word, as I read it aloud. While you're standing, if you're a visitor, let me just, uh, I always remind, I'll remind again, we have a few spaces that are available to you. The kids' gym in the back is a room you can go into. If your kids need to move around or if you need to be a little bit busier while the sermon's going on, it's piped back there through a speaker. There's a special needs area out here and a room in the back corner that's quieter if you need a, a more uh, less going on but still be able to hear the sermon. And the nursery is at the front of the building now. As you came in, it was just to the right. You could go there and uh, have your children cared for there any under the age of three. So those things are available. If you have any questions, please ask a deacon. Now let me read from Luke chapter 12, the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body and what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches 
and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Would you please be seated and would you join me in a word of prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that you have given us and we thank you for this parable and the teaching that comes out of it from the words of Christ. And so we ask, Lord God, that this morning as we consider your word, that your spirit would now work in our hearts by his power to convict us of our sin to convince us of our need, and to demonstrate to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is in His name we ask all of this. Amen. Well, you have probably heard it said that money is one of the most discussed subjects in all of Scripture. And indeed, that's true. Jesus often speaks about money. He often uses money in most of His illustrations. And I would suggest if we broaden the category even slightly to begin to include all of our possessions and our resources, that this is definitely the most discussed subject in all of the New Testament. That the Bible often speaks about our possessions and our resources. Now, as I sat down to write this sermon this past week, I finished my first draft. I looked back over the sermon and I thought, wow, I'm using the word things an awful lot. It's talking about my things and your things and our things and the things that we have and the things that we don't have. And I thought in my mind, well, I'm, I need to be clear about what I mean when I say the word thing. What are our things? What does Jesus speak about? And so this morning, I've brought a visual aid. A visual aid. I brought a box of visual illustrations, what I mean when I use the word things. Let me show you a few of these things that I hope will be at the forefront of your mind as we look at the passage this morning. I brought a treasure chest. Can you see the treasure chest? Treasure chest. To me, it represents... All of the material possessions that we often call our money or our finances, our treasures. Included in the treasure chest is your 401ks and your 403bs and your 529s and your health insurance and your life insurance and the money that you have and the silver that you have and the gold that you have. However you categorize your treasures represented by the treasure chest. I brought a picture of my family not only to depict our families, but also to depict, at least for some of you, the pictures of your families, which are maybe your greatest treasures. Our families. I brought a tennis ball. To me, it depicts sports. Okay? These are the things in our lives, the things that we like, our hobbies, our sports, our activities, the things we spend much time doing. I brought a trophy. It's a pretty big trophy. Our awards, our gifts, our abilities, our accolades, the things that we place on our shelves that we like to look at that depict to us our achievements, that also is contained 
in the word things. I've got a car. It's more of a dune buggy, I guess. But this represents our vehicles, whether they be your hot rods, your pickup trucks, or the old thing that has four wheels that gets you from your home to church on a Sunday morning. Our vehicles are part of our things. I have a tablet, your computers, your laptops, your iPhones, or the other phones. I don't even know what they are anymore. The phones that you use. I brought a weight, okay, a five-pound weight. Your exercise, your activity, the things you like to do in your free time, an apple, your food, your drink. It's one of the things that Jesus mentions this morning, the things that you eat and drink. I brought a house. This is the White House. I know you don't live in the White House. This is the best example I had. The places that you live, your homes, your apartments, your tents. I don't know where else we live. Cabins, okay? The places that we live. And finally, I brought a remote control from a Sega Genesis, okay? Uh, For you children, you might be thinking, well, this is not for me. I don't have a home or a car. I don't have computers. Maybe I don't have money in my bank, but I would imagine that most of you children have your games, okay? This is what I mean when I talk about things. I think it's what Jesus means when He begins speaking these words this morning. Now, this morning, as we look at Luke chapter 12, here's what I want you to understand. When we hear Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 12, how we understand His words is going to be largely dependent on how we view these things, okay? Whether we receive His words, we resist His words, we tweak His words, we hear some but not others, will largely be dependent on our view of our possessions, of the things that we have. And the place that we're going this morning as we conclude this passage will be a conclusion that is, the way we see our things will dictate how we view this passage, but the way that we see God will dictate how we view our things will dictate how we view this passage, okay? So so we'll get there. But this morning, I want to talk with you about three responses to the passage that is before us. Three responses when Jesus speaks about our possessions or our things. The first response, it's on the insert in your bulletin, is the response of the hedonist, okay? The response of the hedonist. What is a hedonist? A hedonist is a general category for an individual who believes that the ultimate purpose of life is found in pleasure, okay? It is derived from the things of life. So for the hedonist, these things are the ultimate pursuit. All right? And I want to begin with the hedonist, not only because I believe it is a primary concern within the American church, but also because this is where Jesus begins in the passage this morning. Jesus answers the question of a man who appears to be a hedonist. He responds with a parable of a man who appears to be a hedonist. So let's begin by looking at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, that's a peculiar question, isn't it? 
Jesus is not a lawyer. He's not an executor of wills. And so this man comes and asks a peculiar question. It's why Jesus says, I'm not an arbiter. Uh, Who am I? I'm not a judge. But the question is also peculiar because of the way that the man asks it, isn't it? He doesn't say to Jesus, will you help me resolve this problem that I've got with my brother? Will you help us to discern how to divide the inheritance? What does he say? He says to Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And it is written in such a way that it's meant to communicate to us a conversation that is very similar to two children who are in the back of the car. Okay? Yeah, yeah, you know the conversation, right? He is on my side of the car. Mom, Dad, tell them to move over. She is taking my toys. Mom, Dad, tell them to give it back. It is It feels nitpicky, antagonistic, like a conflict for the sake of conflict. This is the way this man comes speaking to Jesus. Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And you see then why Jesus responds in this way. He says, man, and that's actually I think the way he said it, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you. This is not what I came to do. I'm not here to resolve your petty little conflicts. But then Jesus goes on. And he speaks to his disciples about covetousness, and he provides to them this parable about a rich man. And you've heard it before. Let me summarize to you what Jesus says beginning in verse 16. There was a man, and he was a very wealthy man. And the man had a particularly good year, and the land of the man began to produce plentifully. I want to point out as we go, up until this point, even the next verse, there's really nothing wrong with what's happening in this story. There's a rich man, he had a a lamb that produced plentifully, and he's got a question of what to do with the produce that he has now had in abundance. Now the man says, what does he say? Uh, My barns and my storehouses will not hold these things, so what do I got to do? I've got to knock them down, I've got to build bigger and better until I can store all of this food that I've produced for this year. The implication in this passage or this parable is that he is storing more than he needs. You know, during this time period, it's hard to store food. So he's storing maybe even more than he will be able to preserve. And the kicker, the the part of the parable that really stands like a sore thumb is verse 19. And the man says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Did that verse strike you as odd? It it ought to strike you as odd. The man said to his soul, right? What do we know about the soul? The soul is not physical. The soul is spiritual. The soul is not temporal. The soul is eternal. The soul is not satisfied with food and drink. The soul is satisfied with spiritual things. The man said to his soul, we've got lots of food and drink. We're going to be good. 
And you can imagine the soul responding to the man like, what are you talking about? Okay? What do I care about bread and fruit and grain and wine and drink? This has nothing to do with me. It would have been much more appropriate for the man to say to his belly, we have food and drink, we're going to be satisfied, or to his hands, we have things to entertain us, or to his mind, we have things to think about and to rest upon, but he said to his soul. In saying that in verse 19, first of all, there's an absurdity, right? But we also see an ironic truth being brought to the surface, that man is more than his physical possession. The man speaking to his soul, he recognizes that he indeed has a soul. That humanity is not just on this earth for a time, but has an eternal component that is called the soul. So this, this man highlights the absurdity of the hedonistic uh, mindset, the mind frame. Now listen, as you think about this passage what is, what is the response of the hedonist who hears Jesus speaking these words? Well, see, the, the hedonist hates this, okay? The hedonist uh, begins to hear Jesus speaking here and wants to totally pass over these words from verses 13 through 34 because there's a number of things that Jesus says that confronts the hedonistic mindset that says that all there is in this world is the pleasure of the physical things. Okay, and I, I said it earlier, listen, the hedonistic mindset is one that is prevalent in our society, right? This is a particular danger to the American church, looking at the things of this world and finding some ultimate satisfaction in these things. So the hedonist, for instance, hears Jesus say in verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy, and the hedonist is finding some way to get out from under this passage, right? And if you're, if you're thinking in your seat, well, that's not me, okay, I would say it probably is. We probably all struggle with this, all right? And if I was reading this passage, and at any time you began to squirm in your seat a little bit and say, wait a second, that can't be exactly what it means, you're probably struggling with a hedonistic mindset. All right? It is a particular danger, again, to the American church. I'll give you one uh, helpful statistic I think always challenges me. Christianity Today did a, an article about five years ago where they compared the church today uh, with the church during the Great Depression. And they were comparing the church on a number of issues, but one of them was on tithing, Okay? And they found that during the Great Depression, the average American Christian tithed about 5% of their income. And they compared it to the church today where they found that the average American Christian tithed about 1.5% of their income. And they were doing this sort of comparison. They're saying, well, look, the Great Depression, people had no money. They had nothing. They had no source of income. And yet they were tithing to their church. And then they compared it to the church today. And they said, by all intents and purposes, the church today is prosperous. And, and yet the church continues to give less and less. And one of the conclusions was the more affluence the church seems to have, the less Christians seem to give away. And, and that's a challenging thing to begin to think about because if that's the case, then it all connects back to a hedonistic mindset, right? The, the more we have, the less we're able to give. 
Because if our identity and our satisfaction is found in awards or, or treasures or food or cars or exercise or family or things, then we will cling to those things. And we will never let them go. Uh, no matter what we believe we're being challenged with in Scripture, okay? This is the mindset of the hedonist. Now, it needs to be challenged by Christ's words, but I don't have a conclusion for you yet. We'll get to the conclusion at the end. That's the first response to a passage like this. I would say it's probably the most prevalent in the American church. It's one that, that needs to be challenged within the American church, okay? That satisfaction and ultimate purpose in life is not found in these things. Christ is speaking to that in this passage. The second common response to Christ's words here is the response of the altruist, okay? The altruist. During uh, church history, these groups of people have been known by different names. Early in church history, they were known as the stylites, okay? The stylites. Uh, they would stand on poles in the middle of the desert for weeks and months and sometimes years, denying themselves of food and even the comfort of sitting down because sitting down was a comfort that needed to be denied and rejected. It was part of the physical world, okay? Uh, uh, we see this throughout church history in a number of forms and fashions, but it, it is the mindset that says, listen, all of this is wrong. We reject this for ourselves. We give everything we have away, and in that we find our purpose and our identity. Okay? Now, the altruist looks at this passage, and what do they see? They hear this conversation that Jesus has, and then the parable, and they begin to think, oh, how terrible. Okay? Oh, how terrible. And not because this man is confused about his soul and, and what will gratify him or not gratify him. Oh, how terrible that this man has all of these possessions. So we begin in verse 13, and immediately a red flag goes up. This is a big no-no. Okay? And this man is hoarding, and obviously he's abusing the system, and he is taken from everyone who is poor. And now he finds himself in a terrible predicament because he has things, okay? So things are to be rejected by the altruist. And you see, as the altruistic person begins to hear Jesus speaking these words, they love these words, but they take them even to a greater degree. So the altruist hears Jesus say, do not be anxious for anything, and the altruist says, oh, Jesus is saying we ought not have anything, okay? That's the solution. The altruist hears Jesus say, sell your possessions and give to the needy. And the altruist easily hears, sell all of your possessions and you must give them to the needy. Okay? Very different than what Jesus says in verse 33. The altruistic person easily passes from a gospel message of grace into a legalistic version of follow the leader. Okay? And so Jesus has done, therefore we do. And he went to the poor, therefore we only go to the poor. And he had nothing on his back, therefore we have nothing on our back. Okay? The altruistic response to this passage is to go even further, to hear even more in the words of Christ, to deny the value of anything physical, and to see the same for others around you. 
Now, I would say this idea is also prevalent in the American church. Not as prevalent, I think, as hedonism, but it is increasingly so more prevalent. I'll give you an example. Many of you have probably read the books or heard the name Shane Claiborne. Okay, Shane Claiborne is a man who represents this mindset. Okay, listen to the words of Shane in one of his books. He says, Jesus is ready to set us free from the heavy yoke of an oppressive way of life. Okay, so far, kind of good, right? Some biblical language. Plenty of wealthy Christians are suffocating from the weight of the American dream, heavily burdened by the lifeless toil and consumption that we embrace. This is the yoke from which we are being set free. Okay, what is the yoke from which we are being set free? Again, those are biblical categories. Yoke, bondage, slavery, freedom. This is the yoke from which we are being set free, he says. And as we are liberated from the yoke of global capitalism... Our sisters and brothers around the world are also being liberated. Our family overseas who are making our clothes, growing our food, pumping our oil, assembling our electronics, they too have to be liberated from our empire's yoke of slavery. Their liberation is tangled up with our own from that liberation of capitalism. You see, the the mindset of the altruist is to take the words of Christ and to turn them into a template for a life that denies the value of anything physical or the pursuit of anything physical. And so it sees the physical world around us as to be rejected as sinful and as dangerous and as disdainful before the face of God. Many today, I think, are making decisions in their lives based upon this mindset, a rejection of anything, anything, treasure, food, cars, sports, homes, games, accomplishments, a rejection of anything physical in the pursuit of what they believe Christ is calling them to in this altruistic mindset. You see the problem? The problem is very simple. Jesus condemns covetousness. He never condemns the material world. As a matter of fact, He made it for our enjoyment. Okay, It's part of the design of the physical world that's been given to us. Christ never condemns money. He condemns the love of money as dangerous. And so even in verse 31 this morning, Christ says, instead, seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you. You know what these things are? You you wonder that. What are these things in verse 31? You have to go back at least to verse 28. There he's speaking about clothing. And then he says in verse 29, do not seek what you're to eat or what you're to drink. Uh, These are the things of life. In verse 30, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. See, the message from Christ's lips is that you ought not to be anxious over these things, but as you seek the kingdom, these things will be added to you in different quantities and in different qualities, but by the hand of God, He will provide for our needs definitely. 
and sometimes out of His good pleasure for our enjoyment beyond even our needs. And so as we look at this passage, we think about it through the, the lens of the altruistic eye. It is not sinful to have. It's not sinful to have a 401k. Not sinful to have money in your bank account. It's not sinful to have a productive job. It's not sinful to pursue things in this world. It's not sinful to be productive. But, as we're seeing this last point, the calling of Christ is that we see these things through the lens of the kingdom of God. That as you seek the kingdom, all these things will be added unto you. That's where we're going here in this last point. You see, here's where I think the attention of this passage ought to be drawn. There is a third way. It is hearing the words of Christ through the lens of the gospel of grace. And there are three verses in this passage that I think begin to highlight what that looks like. They are the ends of each paragraph. They are the place that Christ ultimately lands as He is speaking to His disciples. In verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So there is a richness towards God that is highlighted. In verse 31, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. We just mentioned that. And then finally in verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, those are the the final words of Christ in, in each successive account or story that He's sharing with His disciples. It is where He ultimately ends as He leads them. And you see what He's saying? He is simply saying, listen, you are to see as followers of Christ to see your existence as Christ followers. And if you're looking at your things through the lens of being a follower of Christ, then the way you will view your possessions in this world will be very simple. You will view them as being from God and for His glory. That's it. It's that simple. You will view your treasures and your cars and your family and your awards and your home and your sports and your games. You will view them as deriving from the hand of the Father, as Him being the source of these good things. And you will view them as being given to you for His glory. Again, it's that easy. It reminds me, if you want an illustration, it reminds me an illustration from literature it reminds me of a brief line in the Odyssey, okay, Homer's Odyssey. Odysseus, the main character, has left his home and he's been gone for many years. And he eventually returns, but it's kind of well after anyone thought he would ever return. And he returns disguised as an old man. And he had left another man, Emmaus, in charge of his household, all of his belongings, to take care of it. And when he returns to his home, the first person he sees is Emmaus. Now, Emmaus doesn't recognize him. And so this is what Emmaus says when he sees Odysseus. He says, For verily the gods have stayed the return of him who would have loved me with all kindness and would have given me possessions of my own, a house and a bit of land and a wife sought of many wooers, even such things as a kindly master gives to his thrall who has toiled much for him and whose labor the God makes to prosper. 
even as this work of mine prospers to which I give heed. Therefore would my master have richly rewarded me if he had grown old here at home. See what he's saying? Maybe not. It's a complicated passage. Paragraph. Uh, Emmaus was saying to the old man before him, listen, had my master returned home, he would have been satisfied with the way I kept his thing. He would have seen that I had maintained his homestead well, that I had well cared for his animals and all of the people of his household, that I had taken care of it as if it was my own, and he would have indeed rewarded me. See, Emmaus was depicting a picture where he was constantly waiting with an eye on the horizon. Every morning when he woke, every evening when he went to sleep, he was looking for the return of his master, waiting to say day by day to his master, listen, all of your belongings that you have entrusted to me, I can give an account for. They've been well cared for as you would have intended, and now you will see, oh, master, that I have been a good and faithful servant. See, that is the picture that Christ is painting in this passage of the one who is saved by grace, how they ought to view their possessions. Okay? They are given by God for the glory of God. We ought to have an eye to the horizon as if the imminence of God's return is just tomorrow and we will be the ones who have to give an account for our things. And so let me simply ask you this. Do you view your things as from God and for His glory? You know what that looks like? It looks like holding them with an open hand. You've heard that before. But the one who holds their things with a closed hand believes that they will uh, find their satisfaction in these things and they cannot be lost. But the one who sees them from God for His glory holds them with an open hand. Depends upon God for the receiving of those things and for the use of those things. So I ask you again as you think about your homes, do you see them as from God and for His glory? Are you asking the question, how can our homes be used for the glory of God? You see your awards, your achievements as from God and for His glory. Are you asking, how can we use these things for the glory of God? Are you saying it about your food and about your vehicles and about your treasures and your sports, about your families? Are you seeing them as from God and for His glory? How can I use this for the glory of God? If you're not asking that question, you're really missing the point. Of all of the words of the New Testament concerning our possessions and our belongings. Kids, are you thinking about your video games? Okay? Are you thinking about your toys, your stuffed animals? The way that you use your things, are you thinking about them as from God and for His glory? Are you asking, how can I use my toys to glorify God? It is the question that Christ points us to in this passage. It's the one that He desires us to reflect on. And if we're asking that question, we will never go wrong. You see, don't listen to those who will tell you, well, it's all about the quantity that you have of these things, or whether you have or you don't have, or how much you have, okay? 
That is not what this is about, nor does Christ ever speak about those things. He speaks about the use of these things. Do we see them as from God and for His glory? You see, if that's the way we're viewing our things, that's the way we're viewing our possessions and our resources, then the rest of this passage makes perfect sense, right? Because the part we didn't talk about, the big part of this passage is the part that says, do not be anxious. It talks about the lilies of the field and the ravens of the air. And Jesus says, don't worry about those things. Do not be worked up about whether you'll have clothing or food. Yeah, the Lord God knows and He will provide for you. And you, you see why that connects to everything we've said this morning? Because if this is how we view our things, then what is there to be anxious about? If our things come from God and He gives us what we need to glorify Him and to enjoy Him, then what do we need to worry about? Why would we have to worry about the clothing we wear or the things that we have or how much we're going to have or whether we're gaining or losing? Why would we need to worry about those things if we believe indeed that those things come from the hand of our Father? But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He clothe you? And do not be worried about what you are to eat or to drink. Your Father knows you need those things. Seek His kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Fear not, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I only ask this morning that you would help us to see the things that we have in this world through the lens of of your Son, of your Word, and of your kingdom. That we would not find some ultimate satisfaction in our belongings, that also we would not find some satisfaction in denying ourselves the physical world. Lord, I pray that as we consider the things you have given us, I pray, Lord, that as we are trustworthy with some, that you would bless us with more. I pray, Lord God, that as you give and as your children see the things which we have received as coming from your hand and as we use them for your glory, that you would bless us more and that more and more our resources and things would be employed for the work of your kingdom. And that as we use those things in our lives for your glory, O oh God, that your word would go forth, that your kingdom would come, and that you would be glorified. Lord, give us hearts that see our things clearly. Give us hearts that are concerned first and, form first and foremost for you and for your work in this world. We love you, Father. We can only say that by the blood of Christ Jesus.
and through the work of your Spirit. We love you, and we ask, Lord God, that you would give us hearts more and more that love you and desire to follow you in all of our ways, in everything we say and do. For your glory, in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask all of this. Amen.